The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. All right, so a couple weeks ago we started a new series called Move 2021. We've been talking about the fact that we are not... Uh, called to be idle, we're called to be moving, right? Uh, and our focal text when we started this series was John chapter 20, verse 21. What are the chances that it would be 2021 in 2021, right? Uh, John 20, verse 21, it says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you, right? And so on week one, we talked about the fact that our purpose individually and corporately is to seek and save the lost. This is why Christ, this is why God has called you into salvation, right? You've been saved for a purpose so that you can seek and save the lost. And because of our encounter with the resurrected Christ, we have the boldness and power to accomplish that purpose. We've been given the boldness, we've been given the power to accomplish the purpose that Christ has given us. We've been sent not to run in place, but through the power of the Holy Spirit to effectively seek and save the lost. And that's where we as a church get our purpose statement from, right? Our purpose statement is to love God, love others, and make disciples. Very simple, right? We love God, we love others, and we make disciples. And we accomplish that purpose by doing four things, gathering, growing, giving, and going. And last week, we focused on that gather part, right? We talked about gathering. We defined what we really mean when we say fellowship gathers. What does that really mean, right? And we said a few things. One, that gather means we focus on the spiritual well-being of others, right? We as a church body, we meet not just to meet, but we meet so that we can build meaningful relationships with one another so that we can uh, walk together and and we focus ourselves on one another, the spiritual well-being of one another. Gather means that we provoke one another towards love and good works, right? We talked about the fact that people don't necessarily like being provoked, right? But if we're in a meaningful relationship, that allows for that. Uh, Gather means we commune with one another, right? It's important that we actually do life together. And then gather means we bestow courage to one another because we're working together to seek and save the lost. That when we do this together, it encourages us to do what we're called to do, right? And we talked about the fact that we gather so that we can go. That ultimately all of this leads to that purpose of seeking and saving the lost. And so this week, I'm sure you might be able to guess, we're going to talk about growing, What does it mean when we say fellowship grows? What does that really mean? Um, Last year, we did a little trip to Tennessee, and it was a blast. Except for the fact that when you take a five-year-old on a 14-hour drive, it can get really, really interesting. Um, He uh, does not like to sit in the car for very long days. He's our youngest. He does not like sitting in the car. Uh, and he's not one that, you know, some kids, you give them a little device and they'll zone out and they'll be gone. They'll be good for the whole trip. He's not like that. He'll spend about five minutes on it and he'll throw it out and be like, all right, what's going on now? What are we doing? What's next? Right. And, uh, and so he, uh, <laughs> we weren't even to the Louisiana state line, which as we know is not very far. We weren't even to the Louisiana state line, and he says, are we there yet? What is taking so long? Are we there yet? And in his little brain, 
He wanted that starting line, right? The, the Louisiana State, that's the starting line, right? You start there and then you continue to go several states, right? That's the starting point. In his mind, his little brain, he wanted the starting point to be the finish line, right? He wanted to be done. He was, he's like, I've been in this car for 15 minutes. I am done. Get me out of it. Poor little dude had another 14 hours to go, right? Um, and, and, and we're like that a lot of times in our Christian walk. We view salvation as the finish line. Right? Someone comes to Christ in faith, whoo, job's done, let's move on. That's not biblical. Because salvation is the starting point. Salvation is the starting point in our life. Once we surrender to Jesus in faith, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. That starts the long road of sanctification that the Holy Spirit does in the, the, the heart of every genuine believer. If we truly put our faith and hope in Christ, then the Holy Spirit begins a work at the point of conversion, right? He comes and dwells within us, and that begins a point, a long road of sanctification where the Holy Spirit works in us. Those of you who have had kids, you know uh, when you have a baby, you, you go to the doctor a lot. Like, it feels like it's every week for some reason. And every time you go, what do they do? They start taking measurements, right? I never in my life thought I would care so much about height, weight, and head size. <laughs> Which, for our family, we are blessed 100% every time. 100 percentile every time. But why do we do that? Why are we so concerned about that? Because... Growth is important, right? If you go in there and your baby has not grown, there's cause for concern, right? Because that's not normal. Birth is the starting point of life. There's got to be growth or we become concerned about that child. If there's no growth or development, something is not right. Something is amiss because why? Life doesn't work that way. Right? Life doesn't work that way. If someone is born, they should be growing as they age. It's the same with us spiritually. You can't come to Christ in repentance and faith and remain a spiritual infant for the rest of your life. That's not right. It's not normal because new life doesn't work that way. New life doesn't work that way. You can't come to Christ and, and, and have that starting point of conversion and then remain there for the rest of your life. That's not how this works. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and enables you to grow. If you're the same today as you were at the point of your profession of Christ, you may want to do a real honest evaluation of your heart and ask yourself, do you really, have you really surrendered to Christ in your heart? Because if there's no growth and there's concern, about the spiritual status of your life. Why? Because living things grow. It's natural. Living things grow. If you're spiritually alive, the natural outflow of that is spiritual growth. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 6, he says, I am sure of this. There's no calls for question here. Paul is sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul was certain that at the point of conversion, that that was the starting point and that there will be a work in your life as you progress as a Christian. You will grow spiritually. And he takes it further when he talks about himself in chapter three of Philippians, verse 12. He says, not that I have already reached the goal, right? He recognizes that he's not perfect. He says, or am I already perfect? But I make every effort. 
I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul understood that perfection wasn't something that he would ever obtain. We're never going to be perfect. We're always going to be flawed. But he still made every effort towards growth because Jesus had changed his heart. Right? His affections were changed because he was made into a new creation. His heart had changed. And even though there was constant temptation, even though he failed often, he still was progressing towards Christ, towards growth, constantly throughout his life. And he understood the importance of that. When we're truly surrendered to Jesus, we will grow. It's the natural outcome of the changed nature. And so Peter writes about that in our text this morning. This is what we're looking at. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to break that passage up and look at what Peter's really trying to say. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the pursuit of growth. The pursuit of growth. He says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. For this very reason. So when you see that, it's always important to look at context, right? People can take stuff out of context all the time and make the, the Bible say anything that they want. So it's important that when we see stuff like that, we go back and figure out what is what, what reason, what's the reason, right? So uh, in verses 3 and 4, he gives us what he's talking about. He says, his divine power, the power of the Holy Spirit, has given us everything, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, so through the knowledge of the gospel, the fact that Jesus has, the, the Holy Spirit has enlightened us to the truth of the gospel, that, that the, Christ has changed our hearts, his Holy Spirit comes and resides in us and gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. You already have everything you need for growth. He says, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. What's, what's Peter saying? He's saying that growth is a product of the Holy Spirit. It's a product of the Holy Spirit. It's his power that has given, notice that's a past tense word, right? Past tense. He has given you already everything that you need for spiritual growth. Last Saturday, uh, me and my brother and my dad and my uncle and a few of us, we went to uh, our grandma's lake cabin, and uh, the back porch on the lake cabin was, had rot, rotted out and needed, the whole thing needed to be replaced. So we go up there, and we start redecking this, this porch, and it took us like all day long. And we get to the end, and there are um, some posts that we need to notch out with the, with, in the board so that we can lay it in there. And so I draw out the, the measurements of where the notches need to be. And we had this table saw, but the blade wasn't very big on it, so it wouldn't make the cut all the way. But then I also had a, uh, a circle saw, a circular saw. And so I tried to like fix it with that. 
And then I was trying to like, it was very dangerous, don't do this, very stupid, but I was trying to like get it, that corner cleaned out so it would fit and lay in the spot. By the time we were done, it looked like a three-year-old did it. <laughs> Luckily, we were able to cover it up with some other pieces that you didn't really see it, but it was really bad. It was really bad. And, and, and it took forever, and it was, it was, it was um, a little bit agitating to try to fight that, those two saws to get the cut the way we wanted. It irritated me very much. Uh, we got it done. It did not look very great. And then I got my truck, and I had a jigsaw in my truck the entire time, which is exactly what you would need to make a perfect cut. It was in my truck with us the entire time. I just totally forgot that it was there. I never even thought about it. That would have made things so much better because I had the right tool in my truck the whole time, but I didn't use it. And that's how a lot of Christians, a lot of professing Christians are, right? They live spiritually defeated lives all the while. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in the heart of every believer. It's completely illogical that we would live spiritually defeated lives. The same spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in your heart. He's already there. It's something that came and dwelled within you at the point of your conversion. It's not something you have to go to God every time and say, God, will you please give me the power? No, you already have the power. God has already given you the power. You just need to live in that power and use it. We have the Spirit. He's already given it to us, past tense. And listen this morning, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not really saved. It's the Spirit that enables us to grow. Peter says, because you have what you need for growth, make every effort towards growth. Make every effort towards growth. When I was in uh, middle school, we got this like free set of encyclopedias. And for those of you who are young, that was the internet before the internet. And I had this full set of encyclopedias in my room. And if I'm honest with you guys, after the first day when they came and I opened and kind of looked through them, I never touched them again. Never touched them again. I had all that knowledge in my room. But the grades of my report card did not reflect that. Because I didn't utilize them, right? I had all that there, but I never utilized them. I never touched them. I never took advantage of that. You have what you need, but there's still a level of effort that's needed to make it happen. Right? You can't just lay there and be like, all right, the Holy Spirit's going to empower me. You have to actually do something. Right? You have to get up and do something. There's still a level of effort that's needed to make it happen. Right? We're working on that porch. There was still a level of effort on my part to actually have to go get the saw to use it. It's not just going to use itself. Does that make sense? You have to use it. God has given you what you need for spiritual growth, but you still have to make an effort towards it. What does that look like practically? Right? What does it look like practically to take advantage of that? Right? The Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin, but you need to make sure that you act on that conviction. I've used this illustration before, and it's a very common illustration, but it, it's just so pointed and it makes so much sense. If you've got two dogs in the backyard... One's the spirit, one's the flesh. Which one are you feeding? Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to become stronger. 
right? If you're feeding the flesh over and over and over again, then the spirit becomes weaker in, in your life and, and, the, and the flesh becomes stronger. You have to feed the right dog. So if you're involving yourself in all these things that feed your flesh, then of course you're living spiritually defeated lives because your spirit is so weak. You have to feed the right dog. If you have a pornography addiction, maybe it's time to get rid of the smartphone. You don't need that. You, despite popular belief, you can live life with a flip phone. If, if we're going to feed the right dog, that means that we get rid of the things that stir our flesh in our life. Peter says we must make every effort to supplement our faith. In some translations it says add to your faith. The idea that Peter is trying to make here is that there's a result to our faith. Right? If you've truly surrendered in faith to Christ, there is a result of that. Right? Uh, we bought a house in Lumberton several years ago and uh, we were told that it had a lemon tree in the backyard. Which is awesome. That was like a selling point for me because... Put some of that lemon in, in, in some water and some sugar, and you got lemonade, right? Unlimited lemonade, right? Chick-fil-A all day, every day. We get there, and uh, we had bought the house. It was wintertime, um, which apparently that's when lemons grow. Uh, I didn't know that. I was thinking, well, they're not there. They'll be there in the summer. Um, they weren't there in the summer, and they weren't there for the entire couple of years that we lived there which really started to make me guess, is this really a lemon tree or is it just a tree? Because there's no fruit, right? I started a question. We need to make an effort towards spiritual growth. We, we need to supplement our faith so that we can show that our faith is genuine. Right, that's what Peter's saying, that we supplement our faith, we add to our faith these things so that we can show that our faith is real. That our faith is genuine, it's not fake. Our faith should produce something in us. What does it produce? That leads us to our next point, places of growth. Places of growth. He says, with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Um, when Davis was little, he had some speech issues. And so we had to do speech therapy. And, uh, and one of the things that I learned in speech therapy is that uh, there are certain milestones that kids are supposed to be able to reach by certain ages, right? By a certain age, they should be able to pronounce their R's. And by a certain age, they're supposed to be able to pronounce their TH sounds. And by certain ages, they're supposed to uh, be able to jump or run or uh, feel empathy for their friends or or whatever. There's certain levels emotionally and physically that they're supposed to be able to hit at certain points. And if a child isn't reaching these milestones by a certain age, there's a problem, right? Then you have to have therapy. What does spiritual growth look like? What does it look like to grow spiritually? Right? We know we're supposed to do that, right? We've already made that point. But what does it look like to grow spiritually? What is Peter telling us to add to our faith? What are our spiritual milestones that we should be hitting as we grow? Well, he lists several, right? And as we go through those, they build on top of each other. That's why I have these toys here. You can tell that I have four kids, right? Um, and so he talks about faith first, right? 
that we're supplementing our faith. Faith is the foundation. None of this other stuff matters without this. Right? There's no point in all of this other stuff without this, because this is the starting point, right? We've already talked about that. When we put our faith and hope in Christ, that is the starting point. That is our foundation. Faith is the foundation of our walk with Christ. It is the reason we grow. But he says supplement it. What's the first thing he says to supplement it with? He says to supplement it with moral goodness. And I have lost my moral goodness block. Wow. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yep, I've lost my moral goodness block. I don't know what to do with it. I bet one of my kids took it. I brought them to church with me this morning. I told them not to play with the blocks, but they played with them anyway. All right. We'll pretend that there's moral goodness on top of love. All right? We can all pretend that, right? (laughs) Just totally ruined that illustration. All right. (laughs) They're kicked out of the family. All right. We all have a moral framework, right? We all have a moral framework. We have, a, we have a, a way that we view life, right? We look out on the world and we see things happening and there's a certain moral framework that we operate with, right? We have things that we see that we think, okay, that's good and that's bad. And we all deem those things individually, right? Your moral framework may be different than my moral framework. We all have a moral framework. It's a lens in which we view the world. And before Christ... Most people operate based on what they deem to be right and wrong, right? In your own mind, what you think, you, you, you look at the situation and you determine, is that right or wrong? It's a very subjective thing, subjective morality, right? Uh, uh, Julian talked about that Wednesday night. That before Christ, our morality judgment was very subjective, We all made our own determinations about what was right and wrong. But once we come to Christ, then there is morality predetermined for us. Right? You don't get to determine what's right and wrong anymore. If you put your faith in Christ, if that's the foundation, then the first thing that you add to that is an understanding that Christ's way is the right way. Whether you get it or you don't get it. Right? Whether you, whether you understand its purpose or you don't understand its purpose, if Christ is Lord, then his morality is your morality. And he determines moral goodness. And you surrender yourself to that, right? We don't, we don't have the right to decide right and wrong anymore because we've made him the Lord of our lives. Our moral framework has already been defined in Scripture. Right? We look at Galatians 5, and Paul talks about some of these specific moral items in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at that list. Look at that list. These are all things we leave behind as we grow in our sanctification. These are not the things of believers anymore. We don't involve ourselves in these things anymore because our moral standards have changed. Our outlook on what is right and wrong is defined by Scripture. And so when Scripture says these things are no longer part of who you are, they're no longer part of who you are. If Jesus is Lord, then these aren't you. Because Christ defines morality, not culture, right? You look at culture and culture's morality ebbs and flows. It ebbs and flows. 
If we let that determine what we view as right and wrong, we are sorely mistaken. Because Christ is Lord and his morality is our morality. The second thing, and I do have a book, a block for this one, is knowledge. So we add to our faith, we supplement our faith with moral goodness and then knowledge, right? It says goodness with knowledge. Another area of growth for every believer is knowledge. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means you need to be reading your Bible. It means you need to be reading this. You know, statistically, most Christians have never read this from cover to cover. I don't even mean like from beginning to end. I mean like all of it. Whether you jump around or not, most Christians have never read this. We build our lives on this. This is our foundation. And yet we don't read it? We don't know what it says? How illogical is that? We need to grow in our knowledge. 1 Peter 2, verse 2, says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Julie and Melissa have that little baby girl. And uh, we've been around them enough to know that she very much lets you know when she's hungry. Right? she got this cute little scream when she's hungry. And she makes it very evident. Why? Because all she knows is that if I'm hungry, I need to eat. Right? She recognizes that what will sustain her is to eat. And if she doesn't eat, she's miserable. Right? She has to eat to live. And even in her own little small infant brain, she recognizes, i got to eat. Right? And she longs for that food when she's hungry. And she makes it very evident that she's longing for that food. The same should be true for us as new believers. We should long for the word of God. We should long for knowledge about God. He says, so that we can grow up in our salvation. We've got to eat so that we can grow. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. What is he saying? He's saying, look, you've already experienced the goodness of God in your life through salvation. Why wouldn't you go back to that? Why wouldn't you go back to that for life, sustaining life? When you've already tasted and known that God is good, that the gospel changed your life, why wouldn't you continue to go back to that for life? We've tasted that the Lord is good. If that's true, we should continuously go back to learn more. If we're going to grow, we must spend time in his word. The next area is self-control. Right? Oh, thank you. You are the man. the rescue the other one was green to match but that's okay Uh, I'm knocked off my my stuff now where are we at self-control okay he says knowledge with self-control right so our moral framework changes we grow in our knowledge of God and his word and then we start to see an increase in our ability to control ourselves Right? There's still this flesh inside of us that draws us towards sin. But as we grow spiritually, as we grow in our knowledge of God, we start to be able to control self more. Right? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Self-control is imperative to the Christian walk. It's imperative to our growth. We should not be just like we were when we came to Christ, given into all of our fleshly desires. We should grow in our ability to control ourselves. right? Paul talks about this in the text that we just read, right? He talks, he equates it to runners, right? Which I totally don't understand. If you're a runner, good for you. I don't get it. But runners, obviously, they train. They, 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 they are self-disciplined. How much self-discipline does it take to get outside in the cold and go run around and, and make your lungs hurt? I don't, I don't understand. But they do that, right? Because they're self-disciplined. There's a focus on what they want to win in the end. There's a focus on the prize at the end of the race. And that's important to them. And so they practice self-discipline. They make sure that they don't eat certain things. They make sure that they, they train and they prepare for it. Right? And Paul says the same way that they do that for this, this perishable wreath that no one's going to remember at some point, we should do the same as believers because our focus is imperishable. Right, Our focus is heaven. Our focus is eternity. And so we should learn to control ourselves. Why? So that after we preach to others, after we tell people about Christ, we don't disqualify ourselves. Just because you come to Christ doesn't mean you don't still struggle with sin. Temptation is inevitable, yet as we grow, we must increase in our ability to control our sinful impulses. If you follow at all the lifestyle of any celebrities, you see the exact opposite of this. Right? And, and you see the outcome of that. Right? They live in an uninhibited pursuit of desire. Right, whatever they want to do, they do. That's the culture. Whatever makes you feel good, do it. If that makes you feel good, give in to it. Follow your heart. Right, every Disney movie that's ever been made. Follow your heart. But what does that lead to? Look at their lives. It leads to chaos. It leads to chaos. We as believers should be making every effort to grow in our ability to control ourselves. And what does that bring? It brings constancy. What does the word he uses? He says self-control with endurance. We grow in our moral framework, then we grow in our knowledge of God, then we grow in our self-control, then we grow in our ability to endure. As we grow in our ability to control our sinful desires, we become more able to endure temptation, which means the frequency of our sin diminishes. I hate dieting and exercise. Amen, right? That's an easy one to amen, right? I hate dieting and exercise. It's miserable, right? You got to be hungry all the time. It doesn't feel good to exercise. It's miserable. But here's the truth. If, if you've ever done it for a long period of time, after a certain point, it becomes much easier becomes, because it becomes part of your life. Right? If you start to diet, your cravings for chips and salsa, supposedly, I'm told, eventually wane. Your ability to make the decision to get up and exercise becomes just a natural decision because you've been doing it for so long. 
James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. As we practice self-control, we become more able to endure. We become more able to remain constant in our walk. And we're no longer defeated by the same things that we were defeated by before. At one point, you may have struggled with pornography or alcoholism or all these different things, but as you begin to walk in faith and practice self-control, you become more able to sin less. And the next one he talks about is devotion to God. He says, endurance with godliness we grow in our moral goodness, our knowledge of God, our self-control, our constancy, and then our devotion to God. When I think of the word God, godliness, I think of holiness. Right? You may be the same. That's not really what Peter's talking about here. What he's talking about, and, and the word he uses is actually very complex. It means a devotion to God born out of a reverence for God. In modern Christian culture, the word religion has gained some negative connotations. Right? You'll hear people say, our faith is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's a good thing. That's it's true. That's true. But religion in and of itself is not a bad thing. You know what religion really just means? It just means devotion. Being religious is not a bad thing. What, the, what makes it bad is if our motives are mixed up. Right? If we're religious for religious' sake, then you've missed it. But if you're religious because you truly have a heart for God and you recognize that he is the king of your life and you want to devote yourself to him and practice devotion in your daily life, that's a great thing. That's an area in which we should be focused and growing in is what Peter is saying. Our endurance will lead to faithful devotion to God day in and day out, our faithfulness. But motive matters. We're devoted. By the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's religion. It's born out of the right thing, but it's religion. It's devotion to God. And as we grow in our faith, as we grow spiritually, all of this leads up towards religion, devotion. But religion born out of a love for God, out of an understanding of who God is. The next point he talks about is Christian love. He says, godliness with brotherly affection. So we're adding to each of these places of growth. Our devotion to God leads to a love for one another. In fact, Jesus says that's how people will know that we are one of his disciples. In John 13, 34, he says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Disciple is devotion, right? If we're truly disciples of Christ, what does that lead to? It leads to a love among one another, right? And I'm not going to get super deep into that because we just talked about that in 1 John, right? We know what it means to love one another. We understand when he says to love one another as I have loved you, that means sacrifice, right? We give ourselves to one another fully, uninhibited, because we genuinely care for each other. And that is born out of our devotion for God, which leads us to the last point, 
love in general. He says, in brotherly affection with love. Not only do we grow in our love for one another, but we also grow in love for people in general. Right? Ephesians 5, 2 says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is sacrifice. Right? If you genuinely love someone, you're going to give of yourself for them. And Peter takes it a step further than Christian love. He says love in general. Love becomes part of who we are as a person. When we are growing in our, in our faith, when we're growing as followers of Christ, ultimately where does that lead? It leads to us becoming people who love others. And what does that look like? Jesus gives us a glimpse of it in Matthew 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. This is a new way of love. Can we all agree on that this morning? That this is radically different than our understanding of love in, in the culture that we've been born and grown up into. To love your enemies is radically different. But as we grow spiritually, that becomes something that we can grasp because the Holy Spirit is working all this other stuff in us that ultimately leads to where we become a people who are so characterized by our love that we love our enemies. We love those who persecute us because Christ dwells inside of us and empowers us to be who he wants us to be, which is a people who love others despite their hate for us. Which leads us to the last point this morning. We've talked about the places of growth. Now we're going to talk about the purpose of growth. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... Our growth should be taking place in increasing measure, right? The point of salvation, it should be constantly increasing. There is never a point in your life where you take a break from growth. There's never a point in your life where you should take a break from growth. Man, I got a lot going on in my life. I'm busy. I just, I just don't have time to invest in that anymore. You are radically misguided if that is your viewpoint. Because if Christ is Lord, you should always be growing in your faith. He says, if, we're, if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from what? Being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We planted a garden one time. And uh, we put a lot of energy and effort into it. A lot of work, right? We labored to see growth, right? You plant the seed, you go out there a couple of days later and there's just this little sprout that pops up and you're like, man, I gotta protect this. You put a little thing around it so that it can grow up and you focus a lot on growth, right? You wanna make sure that that plant is growing. Why? Because you want the fruit, right? I'm not gonna labor so that I can see this plant grow if it's not gonna give me some jalapeno peppers, right? I want the fruit. I'm going to invest in labor so that it can lead to something, right? And that's what Peter's saying. He, 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 this is the purpose of all of this, is, is that we can focus on growth so that we can focus on being fruitful, right? We, we said in week one that, that we don't want to live our lives for nothing, right? It's important that we don't live our lives for nothing, that we live for a purpose, and, and that Christ has given a, a, us a purpose to seek and save the lost. No one wants to stand before Christ one day and give an account for a wasted life. 
Nobody wants, no, no true believer wants to stand before Jesus one day and say, look, I had that life. You gave me all of these experiences and all of these things, but here's what I did for it. I lived for myself. Nobody ever wants to say that because Christ gave us a purpose to seek and save the lost. And so everything that we do goes back to our purpose. Everything that we do goes back to that. Everything is built on that foundation. Everything. So just as we gather to go, we also grow to go. Ultimately, the purpose of our growth is not so that we can live in spiritual growth ourselves. It's so that we can actually go out and be useful. Right? So that we can accomplish the mission that Christ has given us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to grow so that we can be more effective at building God's kingdom. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The purpose of our growth is so that we would be equipped for every good work, so that we can go out and proclaim the gospel Right? How many believers do we know that are completely biblically illiterate and they feel unable to go out and profess Christ because they feel like they don't know enough? Well, it's because they're not growing spiritually, right? Because one of these is knowledge. Or they feel like, I'm not worthy to go out and tell people about Christ because I don't have my life together. I'm still so messed up and I keep failing and I keep doing these different things. Well, what's, what's part of this growth process? Self-control and constancy. Right? All of this leads to something. And the something is fruit. The something is seeking and saving the lost. And so my question for you as we wrap this whole thing up is, are you growing? Are you growing? Think back to the point when you profess Christ. Are you the same? Or have, have you been growing in these areas? Are you the same person that you were at the point of your conversion? Or has there been growth? And has there been growth in an increasing measure throughout the entire period? Sometimes people grow a little bit and then they just stop. This should be something that is continuous in your life. Right? Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, recognized that he didn't, hadn't obtained perfection yet. He was still focused on growth. He was still focused on where he was headed. So how do we do that at fellowship? We say that we grow, right? We gather, we grow. How do we accomplish that? How do we help facilitate that? Well, one, we gather, right? We talked about that last week. That meaningful community focused on accountability is something that helps us grow in these areas. Right? If we have meaningful relationships and we're provoking and challenging one another in these areas, it helps us grow in these areas. Right? If you have no one in your life provoking you towards that, you're missing out. You're missing out on the real purpose of the church. So we, one way that we grow is that we do gather. We live in meaningful community focused on accountability. We also offer growth groups. Listen, what we do here is important. At 10.30 every Sunday morning, this is important. It's important that you're here. It's important that you engage in worship. But this is not the most important thing that we do. If you're going to pick one, 
If it's, if it's one or the other, I would much rather you go to a growth group at 930. Why? Because that's one, you're going to build more meaningful community over there. But two, it's a place where you can actually be challenged to grow in these areas. There's no community in here. There's 150, 200 people in here. How in the world are we going to challenge one another towards spiritual growth? But if you get in a room with 12, 15 people, it's so much easier to be held accountable. Another way that we challenge people towards growth is our equip classes. Right? We just started those, and, and the purpose of that is to educate you. It's to focus on this knowledge block, right? Because you need to be knowledgeable about the scriptures. It's important that you know the Old Testament. BK's done an f- awesome job at walking people through the Old Testament. Right? We need to know how to defend and share our faith. Right? Julian's been killing it with that. We, we need to know how to pray and what prayer looks like in a uh, communal setting. And Danny's done a great job with that. And so this is something that we offer to help you be equipped to do the things that we're talking about, to be fruitful. And then... The last thing that we do, and many of you may not even know this, we offer discipleship. And that word has been so misused in Christian circles. Jesus took three years to disciple his guys. And yet in 2021, we want to be like, man, I've got this 12-week study that we're going to do. And at the end of it, you're going to be a disciple. That's illogical. If Jesus couldn't do it in 12 weeks, do you really think a book and some curriculum are going to help you do it in 12 weeks? The problem is we, we have, as the modern church, have tried to make everything like so programmatic. If I can just get these three easy steps and someone will walk out and they're a fruitful believer. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. For some of you, maybe 12 weeks is enough. For some of you, maybe 12 years is not enough. Discipleship is not a book. It's not a curriculum. It's not a class. Discipleship is a process. It's it's being intentional about growth. It's allowing someone to speak into your life on a routine basis and challenge you towards growth in these areas. So we've been formulating a process that we, that we walk people through to help them grow in these areas. And there is no timeline on it. It's not a 15-week class that you're committing to. It is a lifetime that you're committing to. It's you saying that I'm committed to growth and I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice to get to that so that I can be fruitful. And we don't promote these as classes because they're not classes. But as we see people who are interested in growing... We go to them and say, hey, would you be interested in being discipled? Would you be interested in having someone truly speak into your life and build a meaningful relationship with you so that they can provoke you towards love and good works? So this is how we grow at Fellowship. These are the things that we offer. Obviously, you have your own account. You have your own work that you have to pour into it and spending time in the scriptures and praying and doing all those things. But but these are the things that we do to assist. We gather, we have growth groups, we have equipped classes, and we disciple people. So my question this morning is, what effort have you made towards growth? 
What effort have you made, right? Peter says that we should be making every effort to grow in these areas, to supplement our faith with these other areas. How have you done that? It's not just going to happen, right? You don't just have a child born and think, well, they're just going to grow naturally. It's a lot of work. Especially that first year, you've got to feed them every like four hours. And then they start eating baby food and it's disgusting. Right? And, you gotta, and for some reason, you always open your mouth when they open their mouth. You're like, I don't know why I do that. But you're intentional about helping them grow. Right? You're intentional. Even when they get to be teenagers, you're still speaking truth into their life, hoping that they'll become mature. Right? Even when they're adults. You still, as the parent, are that source of wisdom that they can go to and offer, offer words of encouragement to help them grow as an individual. It takes intentionality, is the point. How intentional are you about this? How intentional are you about your growth? A lot of us feel inadequate and in- incapable uh, of being used by God. And to some sense, that'll never go away. But some of the reason is because we're not growing. We thought that salvation was the starting point, or the finishing, finish line, when in reality it's the starting point. Right? Faith is the starting point, and then we build on top of that. We must grow. We must. And listen, it's not for your own sake. It's not for your own sake, but so that we can be effective in accomplishing our mission. This is so important. This is so important, and we as a church need to commit to this. We as a church need to commit to grow in these areas. It's very, very important. For us to be fruitful, growth must take place. Growth must take place for us to be fruitful. And it's so important, which is why we're going to do something a little different this morning than what we've done over the past several, several weeks. That's why you were given a card. Right? And on that card, there's a spot for you. At the beginning, it says that you're committing to focus your life and make every effort towards spiritual growth. And I want to challenge you to really count the costs. Don't just fill out the card because you want to, to make sure that you check all the boxes and, and do the things that you're supposed to do. Fill out the boxes because you genuinely want to see spiritual growth in your life. And so the first thing is it says that you're committing towards spiritual growth, and it gives you a name and a phone number and an email. And when you write your name, your phone number, and your email on there, that is you saying, I commit to this. I commit to this. Now, some of you may be in different elements of this, right? You may be in different parts of this, but it's an increasing measure. Even if you've been a Christian for 40 years and you've already done all of these things, you're still growing in these areas until the point that you die and you get a new body through Christ, right, in heaven. Until that point of regeneration, when you're, when you're in heaven, you, 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 you never, or I'm sorry, glorification, you'll never, you'll never reach the end of these. And so, I want you to consider and pray if you're ready to commit towards growth in these areas. And if so, write your name, your phone, and your email. And then if you'll notice, there's some check boxes below that. And for some of you, you've done all of these things. And so you don't need to check any boxes. But for some of you, you need to consider what your next step towards growth is going to be. For some of you, that needs to be church membership. You need to join into a church family so that they can help and encourage you towards growth. 
And so you can check that box. Let me tell you, if you check the box, uh, we, we will contact you, okay? <laughs> we're going to call you. We're going to bother you. So if you do check the box, we, w- we will contact you. So know that. One's for membership. The second one is to join a growth group. Some of you need to join a growth group. You've been coming to worship in and out, and that's good, but you need to take that next step towards growth and join a growth group so that you can build some meaningful relationships within the church to keep you accountable. Also, when we're in those classes, we go way deeper in the, in the, in the scriptures so that you can understand what the Bible really says. And then there's another box there. And this box, I want you to really, really consider and count the cost before you check it. There's a box there that says that you want to be discipled. And if you check this box, understand there's a cost involved. And it can't be a, well, I got this soccer game and I've got this stuff, so I can't meet this week. And No, no, no. If you check the box, you're committing to it. If you're checking the box, you're recognizing that it is a priority that you be discipled, that you have someone intentionally keep you accountable towards these things. And the reality is if everybody checks that box, there's no way we can actually accomplish that goal. So I want you to be very aware of the the things that you're sacrificing when you check that box. That you are saying that you are completely wanting, completely desiring someone to walk with you through life and keep you accountable in these areas. And it may be years of that, meeting weekly. We've got people meeting every single week with people. Julian meets with people. Stephen and Lauren are meeting with people. There's, there's several couples in our church right now that are meeting with people on a weekly basis, and they're being intentional about walking them through growing in these areas. If that's something that you're interested in, and you're willing to sacrifice all other things so that this can be done, then check that box. Don't check the box if you're not committed to it. Count the cost. If you're willing to do it, check the box. And then here's what we're going to do. In a moment, the band's going to come up here. We're going to have an invitational song. And if you're serious about spiritual growth, if you're willing to commit to it, and then the reason we're doing this is because it really, I'm really trying to emphasize how important this is. I want you to get that this really is important. This is not just some passing thing. Oh, we're challenged to grow, so let's go out there and be growers. Now, this is a real deal. This is a real important thing because if we don't grow, we're not going to be fruitful, right? And our focus is seeking and saving the lost. And that is the most important thing that we do in our lives is seeking and saving the lost. And so this is the first step towards that. And if we're not growing, we're not going to be able to seek and save the lost. And so this is why this is so important. This is why I want to put such an emphasis on this. And so here in a moment as the band sings, if you're serious about growth and you're willing to make that commitment, towards growth, then write your name on there and check the boxes that apply at the bottom and then come down to these altars and lay them on the stage. We'll pick them up later. Just lay them there and spend a moment praying and telling God that you surrender to him towards growth, that you want this in your life and you're willing to surrender to him. So I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come here in a moment. And I want to challenge you to really consider the cost and to really consider more so, like Paul says, the reward. What's the reward of this? You know, there's a cost. It's going to cost you something, but, but what's the reward? It's the fact that we become fruitful, that we get to live the abundant life that Christ offers. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed?
as the band sings here in a moment. My prayer and my hope is that you will consider making every effort towards spiritual growth and making that commitment this morning by filling out that card and walking down here and putting it on the stage. My prayer and my hope is that you'll do that so that we as a church can be fruitful in seeking and saving the lost. As always, I want to take a moment to tell you that remember the foundation of all of this. Not intellectual belief, but a faith that leads to surrender. So this morning, if you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and made him the Lord of your life, there's going to be a couple of people that will be standing down here in front love to have a conversation with you about what it really means to surrender to Jesus in faith, to make him the Lord of your life. And as the band sings in a moment, if you're recognizing that you've never put your faith and your hope and trust in Christ, and that's something that you feel led to do this morning, then please come and grab them by the hand and say, I want to know what it means to put my faith in Christ. I know what it means to really be a Christian, to really surrender to Jesus. I want to challenge you to be bold this morning and, and respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in your heart this morning. If, if the Holy Spirit is leading you towards committing to spiritual growth this morning, then be bold, be courageous. pray that that truth, that reality that's, that's true about our hearts, that that would lead us to make every effort, that would lead us to make every effort towards spiritual growth this morning, that our lives would be focused on growing in all of these areas so that we can be fruitful, so that we can lead a life that is focused on seeking and saving lost God I pray that we as a church this morning that we would unite our hearts together and surrender to you that we would unite our hearts together focused on growing and that we would be intentional in taking the necessary steps towards growth this morning God you've already equipped us with your spirit you've already given us all that we need to grow spiritually God so I pray that we would take the step towards growth in our lives, that we would utilize the power of the Spirit that's in us to grow in our walk with you. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.